And so I have come to believe that if you can can maximize finding and creating relevancy, then all of the learning happens better. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Julie, how are you going to start the podcast today? <laughs> you know, it, it is true. It is usually a stumper when I'm sitting here across the desk, across, <laughs> I can't even say across the desk, across the desk from Andrew Poudois, and I'm thinking, what do I say? And I get nervous, and I don't know what to say. So I'm going to start it by this. Andrew, what do you find is the hardest thing about being a teacher? when you're working with students week after week after week, what do you find the hardest thing about that particular task of teaching? Coming up with new content? Well, it all depends kind of on what you're teaching. There are challenges such as, you know, being prepared and organized. Right. But if you didn't have the ability to be somewhat prepared and somewhat organized, you wouldn't last too long and you would quit. Right. Another challenge is just energy level. Mm-hmm. You know, keeping that enthusiasm going. Yeah, you almost have to be an actor. Walk in, you're you're on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is why a lot of teachers are big fans of coffee and or chocolate, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, especially the homeschool mom kind of teachers. Yeah. But probably one of the things that I'm asked about the most Mm -hmm. is, you know, how do you keep kids motivated? Yeah. How do you help? How do you get them to do their best? Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly... In my many years of teaching music, that was a key thing I had to consider. Part of my job was teaching the technical aspect of playing the violin to a student and their parent. Mm -hmm. But possibly even a bigger and more important part of my job was coaching the parent to motivate the child and supporting them and motivating the child to practice and practice well every single day day after day, week after week, month after month, because if students don't practice and practice well, they don't make progress. If they don't make progress, parents don't see, why should I pay for this? Ah, So it's a sales strategy. And (laughs) if parents don't pay for lessons, then I don't feed the family. So, you know, it became kind of a subject that I was always interested in. And I've also known, I've been very blessed to know some people who were very inspiring and motivating to me Mm -hmm. uh, and and to others, Mm -hmm. kind of people who seemed to have a natural facility or even a mastery at motivation. Um, One of them was uh, actually a co-worker with Maria Montessori. Mm. Uh, Her name was uh, Elizabeth Kaspari, and she was... um, the head of a Montessori school uh, that I had some connection with. And it just, in the quietest way, she could kind of just 
inspire anybody to do anything. And then, of course, later on, I met um, Dr. Suzuki. Mm -hmm. And the the motivational power of that man uh, compares to nothing else that I can think of in terms of you just wanted to do mm. whatever he said. Mm. And and it seemed to work with children too. And that trickle-down effect to all of us who were in training to be teachers in his tradition. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple other people, you know, come to mind that I have met. So I've kind of been studying this and looking at um, how, how can it be practical mm-hmm. as well. So I came up with this uh, kind of paradigm, if you will, of the four forms of relevancy Okay. And then three laws of motivation and then a couple secret weapons. Secret weapons. So um, we could start with relevancy. Okay. I have noticed that when something is meaningful, applicable, interesting, engaging, relevant, it's easier to learn. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, If you're interested in something, you want to study more. You want to learn more. Sure. It's it's easier to teach. It's easier to learn. The whole thing of teaching and learning is just easier for Mm -hmm. everyone. Mm -hmm. The success is much higher. Right. And when something is not engaging or interesting or meaningful or applicable or relevant in some way, it's harder to mm-hmm. learn. Would you mm-hmm. agree? Yes, absolutely. And and so we, we operate in this world of varying levels, if you will, of relevancy, various mm-hmm. forms of relevancy. And so I have come to believe that if you can, can maximize finding and creating relevancy, then all of the learning happens better. Okay. So would this be an example of that? Probably the not that, you know, because I'm thinking of math and specifically accounting in my MBA program. Accounting to me is very dry. Mm -hmm. And I know that my husband does not think this way. In fact, he was very exciting that I was enrolled in an accounting class (laughs) and wanted to help me with my homework, which I was very grateful. Uh So he helped me with my homework almost to the point that he was giving me the answers without me having to wrestle with it myself. Mm -hmm. And finally, when it was time for me to take the test, I was so frustrated because I did not know the content because I had not studied it. And he so much wanted to help me. And I was crying. I said, no, you can't help me because I have to learn this. And by you helping me, I'm not learning this. So he obviously loves accounting and loved that so much that he wanted to inspire me. But Yet. Well, and for you, it was a required part yeah. of your program. Yeah. So you needed to know just enough to be able to pass the class. Exactly. But where your heart was, was more in the, the marketing yep. uh, world of yep. MBA-ness. Yes. Yeah. yes. So, Very yeah, amazing. I think that's a good example. You know, he, he works in that field. Mm-hmm. And so for him, there's probably a certain fulfillment or even a joy in – balancing things mm-hmm. and finding the missing cents or dollars and having a report that is laid out beautifully mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. everything adds up right. And mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a satisfaction that some people – and that that leads us, I think, to the first form of okay. relevancy. So if we're, we're talking about four forms of relevancy. And the first and clearly the best, as you've just illustrated, is intrinsic relevancy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's when something is just, it's like kind of a part of your personality, mm-hmm. uh, character. Some of it can be environmental, but a lot of it is just 
who you are, mm-hmm. you know, your soul, your heart, your neurology. Mm-hmm. Certain people are just intrinsically interested in things, which other people are not intrinsically interested right. in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see this uh, both on an individual basis with children of various ages, and then you see some things that are almost kind of universal. I think you would agree, being a mother of boys mm-hmm. and having lots of friends of your boys, mm-hmm. uh, that almost all boys go through a phase of being very interested in knives or swords or weaponry yep. of some sort. Sure, it, yeah. It's almost universal. And I mean, if you even tried to prevent a boy from seeing a sword, he would invent one. Why is that? Much more so than girls. On on the girl side, you, you find almost all girls at some point are very interested in horses. Mm-hmm. Right. Why is that? It's just, you know, it's part of boyness and girlness. Now, obviously, there are a few exceptions and, mm-hmm. you know, but, but there are definitely intrinsic relevancies that come up. My five-year-old grandson, he just turned five, for a couple years He's just been absolutely fascinated with firemen ah, and sure. firefighting. And, and uh-huh. of course, his presents were all fire boots, fire coat, mm-hmm. fire hat, plastic fire axe. <laughs> you know, he wants to watch every possible YouTube on fires mm-hmm. and fighting fires mm-hmm. and what firemen do. Where did that come from? Mm-hmm. It wasn't that his mother and father said, hey, let's inspire him to be a fireman. No, it was as soon as he knew that it existed – He had an interest, Mm -hmm. you know, and his father is a, you know, PhD equivalent in theology. Right. You know, it's not as though it was environmental. Right. So I think we all have these things, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, My mother said that I was begging for a violin from the time I could talk. Hmm. She's a piano and voice teacher, so music, yeah, but Mm -hmm. why violin? Mm -hmm. If I look back, I think, well, I wouldn't be sitting here today. I'm I'm 99% sure my life would have had a completely different trajectory. Right. IEW probably wouldn't exist if I hadn't grown up playing the violin. Well, we certainly wouldn't have this talk on motivation because <laughs> Dr. Suzuki <laughs> right. was such an inspiration to you. So when we are teaching children, and particularly in the homeschool world where we have a little more freedom in terms of curricular choices, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we can choose these books over those books. Mm-hmm. We could focus on this subject more than that subject. Mm-hmm. We could do this activity rather than that activity. Mm-hmm. Not quite as much freedom in the classroom, but still, you know, you, as a teacher, you get to make choices. We want to capitalize on intrinsic relevancies because that's where the best possible learning occurs. Right. Yep. And uh, I think all of us can go back in our childhood and say, yeah, the thing that I knew the most about, that I could have explained and taught to someone else the most, that, mm-hmm. that I had the deepest understanding, was the thing that I was most interested in. And that may or may not have been a school subject. Right. Right. In my case, uh, when I was about 15, 16, the thing I could have told you the most about was war game strategies. Okay. Right. And how to how to do naval miniatures and Napoleonic mm-hmm. miniatures and and how to play diplomacy and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I I had so much information stored up in my brain because that's what was most interesting to me at the time. Yeah. Unfortunately it didn't translate to, you know, an A on a report card anywhere. No, but 
I can tell you a story that's similar to that about uh-huh. my own son that actually did result in uh-huh. an A on his report card. How but nice. it wasn't with <laughs> it wasn't with war game action figures or whatever you were doing. It was with music. When he was 15, 16 years this old. This is Joel, huh? This would have been Joel. Yeah, uh-huh. And he um, actually has done some music recording for us at mm-hmm. IEW. If you have the structure and style for students, if you have the teaching writing structure and style, you have heard Joel play his guitar. And so we got him the guitar at 12 years old, gave him the music lessons and everything, and that was great. But at 15, he wanted to compose and record his own album. And so he spent a semester, and that was a course that I gave him credit for that he mm-hmm. got an A on, is to write all the music, do all the songs, do all the playing, and do the recording, mastering, and sell this DVD, I'm sorry, CD of him playing music. Yeah. Now, that was 15 years ago, so... That's great. It's it's a little bit easier today to do that now. And, than... and that's something that's so nice in the homeschool world, mm-hmm. is you can do that, and it's right. perfectly appropriate. Right. I had to go sit in orchestra in middle school and have Mr. Ingraham throwing the pencils at me for not being attentive. Oh, dear. You know, in order to get that on a transcript. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so any case, uh, intrinsic relevancy. Mm -hmm. So we tune in to, okay, this child or these children or this group of children and say, what can we bring into our curriculum Mm -hmm. that is going to catch their imagination right. because of who they are. right? But not uh, everything is interesting to everyone. No. Right? Some things are interesting to some people, but not necessarily to other people. Yes. And so this is where we move to the second form mm-hmm. of relevancy, which I have termed inspired. Okay. Inspired relevancy is when, well, you may not have, you know, a fascination or, or an attraction to something, But because of someone whom you love or respect or because there's some kind of, you know, positive pressure there, Mm -hmm. right, Mm -hmm. Uh, from a mentor or from peers or whatever, you become inspired and now you are interested and learning happens better. Mm -hmm. I think we could all look back in our years of being in school and say, wasn't it the teacher who was the most inspiring that corresponded with the subject that we were most interested in learning. Exactly, yep. And and unfortunately, the, the inverse is true. Very often, the teacher who we found the least interesting or inspiring corresponded with the subject that we were least interested in learning. So what was your subject in high school that inspired you, that you loved? Or, yeah, what teacher? Well, um, probably... Probably the the most memorable teacher was the was my English teacher. Oh, interesting. And I I'm guessing tenth grade. Mm-hmm. His name was Mr. Spurgeon. Okay. And of all the teachers I can remember, he himself was the one who was most interested about literature, mm. and was able to engage us in conversation yep. about literature, which really was hard stuff. Um, I remember reading The Love Song of Alfred J. Prufrock by T.S. Eliot. Wow. Thinking, this is the weirdest blasted (laughs) poem I have ever... It doesn't make any sense. And left alone with that poem, Mm -hmm. I would have gained nothing from the experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But because of his excitement, Mm -hmm. he could, you know, bring that in and point things out and share his knowledge and love. And so my overall after taste, if you will, was, 
Wow, that's a good poem. I mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, My teacher was also an English teacher, Mrs. Mark. Uh huh. And she definitely inspired me. Yep. The biology class is probably the one that goes down as the worst. Okay, this totally cracks me up because that's the same for me. You did not have Mr. Andrade, did you? I can't even remember the name, <laughs> but um, and we didn't grow we up did, no, in the same place. No, we went to but, different high schools. <laughs> um, I mean, the the whole thing is just. It's like I've blocked it out of my memory because mm-hmm. it was just so unpleasant. Mm-hmm. But I remember the drudgery of walking in and thinking, I got to sit here and take notes and this stuff is so dry and mm-hmm. useless and meaningless. And um, yeah, I'm assuming that part of it was he just wasn't very excited himself. Mm-hmm. So uh, how does this translate for us? Well, you know, hopefully, if we're teachers, we get to teach something we love. Mm-hmm. And so we can, as much as possible, bring that enthusiasm yes. to our students. Yes. It's a, it's a sad day when we get kind of forced into teaching something which we do not really love. Mm-hmm. And then we have to just be good actors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For On the homeschool front, it's a little harder because, you know, a lot of the homeschool parents have to you know, between mom and or dad, they've got to teach most everything. Although I have always liked the idea of finding someone else who loves something and then getting them to teach my kids. Right. Uh, so uh, this is easier today than it was, say, 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to the co-ops and learning communities, we also have online classes. Exactly. Yep. I've always been quite amazed at the excitement and enthusiasm of kids I meet who are enrolled in our IEW online classes. Yes, I would insert a plug here for our online classes, except that they are 95% full right now. So, Well, but what what I always hear is, oh, I love Mrs. Fill in the Blank. Mm -hmm. I mean, every kid who's ever said to me says, I love that teacher. Yes. So, you know, our team... Even through the more distant medium, mm-hmm. you know, of of the separation by screens, mm-hmm. that love of what they're doing, yep. the composition, the grammar, the structure, the style, the literature, it all comes through. Well, and I'm just going to add this to – it's not really a plug for our online classes, but it's a plug for our video courses, your video courses, Andrew Pudua. <laughs> you are an inspiring teacher, and kids love to see you, you know, your antics, your jokes, but you clearly love the kids, and you clearly love the subject matter. And so you are an inspiring and teacher. And they do find that mm-hmm. inspiring, and I won't be making a series of biology videos no. <laughs> anytime soon. Probably not ever. Probably not ever. Uh, so we can capitalize by... Um, finding people mm-hmm. either in close proximity to do a live little class uh, or on a, online or even a video. And that can go a long ways to shifting a child from I don't really like this or I don't know if I like it to, mm-hmm. yeah, I like this because mm-hmm. I've been inspired. Now, some things are unfortunately not necessarily interesting to almost everyone. Okay. But – we have to learn them. Okay. They are kind of the more drier mechanical things that are useful in life, but it's hard to get excited about multiplication tables. Okay. <laughs> or, you know, it's hard to get excited about English spelling. Uh, it's 
hard to get excited about learning the capitals of the states or, you know, things that are kind of on the good information because this will help you downline through your whole life. But how do you get excited at the moment, right? Mm -hmm. And this is where then we say, okay, if the thing itself is not interesting enough for anyone to get excited about, let's contrive relevancy. So -hmm. that would be the third form. So first we had intrinsic, second inspired, third contrived. You couldn't come up with an I? No. Well, (laughs) in the case of alliteration, it only works if you wanted – that word anyway, okay. and it just happened to fit in. Okay, right. The word I want is contrived. Okay, yes. And also, if I had a third eye, I'd be doomed to force a fourth. Yes, this is true. Um, but contrived means essentially you create a game, mm-hmm. a challenge, mm-hmm. a reason for doing it, right, that motivates you to try hard and learn stuff, even though it in itself is not motivating you. And I, you know, I've seen this again and again. In fact, um, I've watched pretty much every teacher hero movie, mm. you know, that's mm-hmm. out there, from you know, Stand by Me and all those others. There's probably I don't know half a dozen that I that I remember right offhand. Um, and almost every, well, I think every one of them that I can think of has a little scene of a teacher who has created a game mm. and is playing this game, using this game uh, in a classroom environment to motivate students to uh, learn and retain information that otherwise they probably wouldn't be motivated to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, games take many different forms. Uh, One example I have used, uh, you know, it's a very small shift sometimes from a chore to a challenge. You know, here's a chore. Here's a paragraph. Find and underline each prepositional phrase within this paragraph. Underline the prepositional phrase with a single underline and the preposition itself with a double underline. And you're just like, Bleh. <laughs> you know, even podcast Princess Here Maria is like, why? <laughs> no, <thank you>. <laughs> why? I mean, it's a completely awful, irrelevant, tedious mm-hmm. chore for mm-hmm. almost everyone. Mm-hmm. But I've seen that. I mean, there are definitely books out there that do that. Um, Our Fix-It Grammar program does not do no, that. No, we, we use a different <laughs> approach. We, we use more the second approach, Okay, okay right. which would be, here's a paragraph. Hidden inside this paragraph are 17 prepositional phrases. Mm. Find them all and you win. Right. That is a completely different activity. <laughs> right. First of all, there's a goal, mm-hmm. right? So a game has to have a goal. Second of all, it's possible, right, to win. If you have a list of prepositions and you have a paragraph and you figure it out long enough, mm-hmm. you can find them. Mm-hmm. And when you win, you have a sense of satisfaction, mm-hmm. this sense of completion that is meaningful, even though you really still couldn't care less about prepositions. <laughs> right. But in the process, you've mm-hmm. familiarized yourself with more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember learning the multiplication tables as a child. And uh, my parents had made a set of flashcards on three by five Mm. cards, Mm -hmm. handmade multiplication table flashcards. Yes. And my father had bought this Cub Scout knife. 
Mm. Right. And this is like third grade. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm eight and a half, whatever. And there was this Cub Scout knife that had different blades and tools. And it was kind of the the precursor of the Swiss Army knife. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this was the coolest thing that I could possibly ever have. Mm. I was extremely motivated because I wanted that Cub Scout knife more than anything I could think of. And he said, well, when you know all the multiplication tables up to 12 times 12, and you can answer them perfectly without hesitation, this is your knife. And I'm going to put it in my you know, desk drawer here, and you can look at it whenever you want to. But if you ever take it out of the desk drawer, you'll never get it. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, at that age, you think your mm-hmm. parents have the all-seeing eye of God mm-hmm. on you or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, dozens of times a day, I would open that drawer and look at that knife and then whenever one of my parents had time, I would say, drill me on multiplication. Nice. I'm, I remember sitting in the bathtub <laughs> and my father sitting, you know, on a chair next to the bathtub. And I'm just sitting in there and he's drilling me on these things. And I wanted so badly that knife. I was highly motivated to learn what was otherwise fairly irrelevant mm-hmm. information. I mean, as an eight and a half year old, how often do you actually use six times seven is 42? Not really, but if 6 times 7 is 42 is one of those steps along the path that gets you the Cub Scout multifunction super cool knife. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's the path to get you into algebra and calculus yeah, and no. differentials. No, no. <laughs> you know, and, and you can say, well, you're bribing a child, but I, I dispute that. Mm-hmm. Bribery is when you pay someone to do something illegal or immoral. We all like external acknowledgments. We like the... Yes. Good job. Yes, we do. You know, and, and when that good job comes with a paycheck, yes. <laughs> right, that's even more an acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. You are of value. Mm-hmm. Your efforts are of value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should all work for free in a communist society and just volunteer all the time and not – no, that's not the way we're wired, Mm-mm. right? Mm-mm. And children are the same. So when you set up some kind of economic system – that is able to motivate a child to work hard and learn something that is otherwise difficult to learn because it's low relevancy, you have contrived a good system. Okay. Now, sometimes, unfortunately, we just can't do it. And we fall into the worst, the least effective form of relevancy, which would be enforced. That would, I suppose, work if I needed enforced, but that wouldn't be the word, right? (laughs) From the alliteration. Enforced is essentially when you say, you must learn this or you will suffer some horrible consequence. Mm -hmm. You will suffer a penalty. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about discipline here. I mean, there are a lot of things you have to do whether you want to or not, and there should be consequences for not doing what you need to do. But in terms of learning... When you say learn this or suffer, mm-hmm. you get the appearance of learning, but th- is it lasting? I, I don't think so. However, it can very easily become a default method mm-hmm. because it was kind of the default method of you know the grade system and grades and that whole thing. Like once upon a time, if you don't learn this, you won't pass fifth grade. And there's nothing worse than that. So you study so that you can pass fifth grade. Now we don't really do that anymore. But we do have these idea report card, you know. Mm-hmm. So the whole mentality goes kind of like this. You have to take biology. It's a required class. You can't graduate from high school. 
Furthermore, you have to study and learn biology well enough to get a good grade in the class because if you don't get a good grade in the class, you'll bring down your GPA. And if your GPA is too low, you won't get into a good college. You may not get into college at all, which means the best you're ever going to do in life is assistant manager at Denny's living a life of poverty and misery. <laughs> Which is the reason? With apologies to all assistant managers at Denny's. Well, which is the reason to study biology, mm, right? Mm. I mean, so that was kind of this threat over your head. Yeah. The reason you must learn this is because if you don't, there will be some horrible consequence. Mm -hmm. So what happens? You get the appearance of someone who's learning biology. You hold the information just long enough to pass the quiz, pass the test, pass the class, and you know. Months, maybe even weeks after it's over, it evaporates so quickly. What percentage of the information that you slog through in that class, mm -hmm. lectures and textbooks and all that, what percentage do you carry on even a year? 2%, 5% if you're a genius? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's not the best approach, I believe, to learning meaningful biology. Mm -hmm. And in my case, that was kind of, you know, that's the sword over your head business. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I will say it is difficult to not fall into as a parent or a teacher. If you don't do this, there will be a negative consequence. Uh, and I would be the first person to say, yeah, I have said to one or more of my kids, yes, you will finish that math or you will not eat ever. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, uh, but that should be our, you know, the, the, the last mm -hmm. resort kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And we should look for either, you know, capitalizing on intrinsic relevancies, finding ways to inspire mm -hmm. through yourself or other people, contriving games and systems and challenges so that at least it's still a potential gain, a potential benefit, a potential mm -hmm. enjoyment. And then avoid, if possible, enforced relevancy because it seems to be the least effective. Right. So I know that we're almost out of time, and we're you've got a few more things, including those secret weapons Right, to talk yes. About. Well, there's the three laws of motivation yep. and the two secret weapons, so we'll have to pick that up next episode. So I do have one question, though, before we close. This is related to uh, actually one of our listeners asked this, and I thought this would be a good time to ask it. If I can paraphrase, it's something like this. We understand contrived relevancy and have used that quite frequently in our schooling environment, almost to the point that our student is saying, I won't do this unless you do this. Yeah, that is a danger. Mm -hmm. uh, that is a danger. And one of the things I've noticed is that good contrived relevancies or games or systems change a lot. So that you have one system here for the multiplication tables. Okay, we're done. You got the Cub Scout knife. Okay, now there's another another goal or another thing. The, the other thing is, and I didn't have time to get into this, so this might be a good place to pick up last time, is mm -hmm. that if you do have an economic system, there, sh there needs to also be a negative consequence. Okay, right. Right. So if you do this and do your best, there's a potential gain if you refuse to even try, there's a potential penalty. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would need to, you know, talk a little bit more with that particular question that okay. you asked. Yep. 
I happen to have seen that question, and the specific circumstance was the child was being rewarded with video games. Mm-hmm. And that has some problematic aspects due to the addictive nature of the video games mm-hmm. that Dr. Sachs, of course, talks yep. about a lot. Yep. And 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 the rebellion coming from essentially the, the withdrawal, the fear of not, you know, the, the going to battle with the parent over that compulsion. Right, right. And uh, okay. that's a, a much more complex type of problem. Okay. Uh, but we could get into it a little bit more and talk about how to structure economic systems okay. that are going to be most effective. Okay, so stay tuned for next week where Andrew Pudwa discusses economics or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> All right, thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.